Welcome to Winging It in Motown Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Hancock. Joining me today, Lauren, JJ, Kyle. How you doing? Greatest day ever. Day ever. <laughs> Great. Thumbs up. Hockey. Wings. Last Thursday, they win to wrap up a nice West Coast road trip. Sunday, they lose. That sucked. What did you guys think overall the week? JJ, you were at the game on Sunday. Go. Uh, I thought the Sunday game was uh, honestly quite boring. Like it was, it was enjoyable to be at the Joe because you can't like not enjoy a game. It's just that like we the whole arena just kept waiting for good shit to happen, and the Red Wings actually played a pretty good game, but they just couldn't hit the net. Uh, they couldn't score more than one from Razik. Um, really, the only excitement that that really came outside of the goal itself and the late game dumb shit heroics by Brendan Smith where like every time Larkin was carrying the puck up ice like there was it, you could feel like the anticipation and the energy in the arena for that kid and that was a lot of fun to experience firsthand um other than that yeah the game was boring Wings need to figure that shit out but uh they got the processes right at least that's that's good because after the the road trip they won a lot of games basically on the magic of Mrazek um, so if they're going to lose a shootout because they got the process right and just shit didn't go right for them, eh, I'm all right with that. Yeah, uh, the game last night was boring, but at the same time, it was really, it was like in a, one of those moral victories just because, uh, they played really well, I thought, uh, it's just they can't freaking score, and, um, even though their power play looked good, uh, I mean, they need to score. They need to score on the power play, especially when you get when you open up with a freaking five minute, you know, uh, game misconduct by Ryan Ryan White, you know, diving into Thomas Yerko's head, so um, which he did not receive any discipline for, um, and uh, they didn't practice today, so hopefully Yerko is okay, even though he did return to the game, but still I don't really trust that. But yeah, the uh, game. one of our commenters said he was at the Toast of Hockey Town. And he didn't look any worse for wear, so uh, that's okay. good. Yeah, that is good. Maybe that was because he was drunk. Who knows? Um, but yeah, uh, then the game uh, against Arizona, um, it was just a it was just a Peter Mrazek game stealer, you know, kind of like magic comeback. Obviously, so um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to make of the team right now. Um, I think that they are still a ways off, and they need to make some uh, key adjustments. You know, you heard, Lauren. Oh, um, let's see. Phoenix, well, I had the recap for that one. Um, that one kind of, I thought it kind of started off boring, too. I think it was, um, yeah, the first we didn't score, so there was, it just didn't seem like there was a ton going on. Um, I'm sure part of that was because we were on the sixth game of a long road trip and, you know, probably mm-hmm. anxious to get back home, despite, you know, how much, you know, they they talk about team bonding and stuff while they're on those long trips. I'm sure they like to, to get back home after those. Um and then I don't know. It it's just it was just kind of a weird feeling throughout that game. Um, 
you know, we were obviously down to nothing at the start of the third and it was, I, I couldn't get a handle on it. And I was like, well, this game doesn't necessarily feel over, but it doesn't feel like, you know, we're definitely coming back. And, and then it got down to the, you know, 10 minute mark and we still hadn't scored. And I was like, ah, I don't, I really don't think this is going to, going to happen. Um, but then obviously we won that one. So that was nice. Um, it's just kind of goofy with the, the couple weird goals that we had in that game. The one that we thought maybe could have been challenged, and then um, the one that was challenged, just kind of all that was. It was just kind of kind of discombobulated and um, <clears throat> disjointed to watch through all of that. Um, and then the Flyers game really was kind of much of the same, um, kind of boring. Not um, obviously not a lot of goals scored. Um, and Kyle, you, you mentioned the the moral victory. Um, I guess in in terms of like you know, our, our numbers looked pretty good and, you know, we were able to get a point out of it. Um, but when I, uh, kind of when I think of like moral victories, like I think if we had scored at least once on that five minute major, I'd be thinking more about like the moral victory. Cause it, like that to me is like what first comes to mind, um, when I think of that, but that was just super frustrating to watch. I mean, I walked into the room with the, where the game was on and, um, I was like, why are we on a five-minute power play? Because I, I completely missed the, the hit and everything. Oh, yeah. um, so I was I was like, what, what, what is going on here? What in the world did I miss in the first, like, two minutes of this game? Um, but, uh, yeah, that was just super frustrating. Um, in, I, know, um, I know the Flyers' like, power play was just crap, but I just, like, when they had all those... those um, power play opportunities late in the third, I was like, oh, this is going to be it. Like, they're just, they're going to, they're going to score and we're going to lose and we should have scored on that major back in the first. And, uh, I mean, thankfully that didn't happen, but it was, it was still just, yeah. I don't know. It was, it, yeah. it, was a, it was a shootout loss and those are never fun. They're always just kind of frustrating. And it right. was like, I felt bad cause it was Mrazic. Um, anyways, I, I mean, it's, it. it's Mrazic, but, you know. but it, it's, it, yeah. yeah, I mean, he played well either way. Um, so. I do agree that it, it kind of takes away from the concept of moral victory if you get that five-minute power play and you fail to score on that because that is very demoralizing. It's If our power play is going to be our enforcer and, and try to keep people from from doing that shit, then, yeah, you can't. The, well, the Red Wings had nine minutes of power play time and got seven power play shots on net, and that's not good enough. Um, Philadelphia, obviously, they had, a, what is it, a minute 46 of five on three, so... But ultimately, they had 627 of power play time, 13 shots on net. So, yeah, I mean, if goodness. neither power play scored, but if I if I could only pick one of those, to, I would pick take the power play that puts two shots on net per minute than the one that doesn't. Right. I agree. Just, you, what are your thoughts on the reasoning why this team can't score? Power play, even strength, either or. I mean, you saw Timu Polkanen come back. They obviously still didn't score a power play goal. Just, Just what's... The, the process or what part of it are they not getting right? Is there anything other than just literally putting the puck in the back of the net? Just bad luck? I, I mean, luck can have a lot to do with it. I don't um, know if they're just like, I think they've got kind of shitty shot selection at times. It's just, it, there's so many black shots, a lot of work around the perimeter. It's just, I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of like on the power play, specifically Pukkanen came back, but he was not, put in a shooter's position he kept mm-hmm. playing low like the few times he got cocked up to where he could blast a one-timer basically the red wings weren't in a position to make a direct pass to him 
Um, mm. Yeah, whether five on five, they play on the perimeter a lot. They hold on to the puck too long too, and that's I think that's what keeps getting their shots blocked is that like none of them ever snap the puck off immediately. It's always that one little hole looking for the hole, and that's what gets it into shin pads or that's what pops it off the post or that's what misses just wide. Just shoot it more. Uh, they don't follow their pucks up a lot more, so they don't get as many uh, second opportunity chances as other teams do. Um, let's see, I kind of already said they missed they miss the net a lot, but it can't be said enough. They miss the fucking net too much. Um, it's just, yeah, it, Justin Applicator is not very good at screening the goalie. I mean, he'll go through stretches where he'll do it you know two or three times in a game and it's like wow that's an amazing screen and then you'll see for two weeks after that uh, he'll be standing in front of the goalie and the goalie either has a perfect line of sight for it or just an abdicator is standing in the spot that that should be open where the goalie isn't covering and basically he ends up blocking it for the other team so they gotta get better at basically everything yeah yeah they're uh the power play is that's that's one of my biggest complaints is the way they work in front of the net and they don't work in front of the net. So, um, and yeah, that's 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 big because you think if this team had even like a mid, middle pack power play, like or even like a top ten power play, um, you probably have about five more wins right now. So maybe more, maybe less. I don't know, but mm-hmm. you know those count those goals. Power play goals, yeah. they count. They should score them. Well, I think yeah, that's the thing. So we, we honestly wouldn't be talking about this team being uh, mediocre and, and not really close to being a contender if the power play is really good. If the power play is good, then our goal differential is at least positive. Um, yeah. It may not be fantastic, but right now it's at, it's at minus five. So, yeah, a good power play at least knocks it up to even, and it takes away from a lot of the one goal game because that's not that's not a hint of a good team either like you can win a lot of no. good goal a lot of one goal games and you can look have a real good looking record um but over and over it shows the teams that dominate on the scoreboard are the ones that uh are honestly better than the ones who you know know how to squeak out those tough fought victories and it, it sounds like yeah yeah you gotta you gotta find the, the way to get that one goal and that's how you win in the playoffs and that's not fucking true yeah i you would score rather, as many goals as you possibly can that's yeah i'd rather lose by every i'd rather lose every game we lose by five goals um as long as we kept winning by by more than one i think you're crazy for saying that well, i think Fight. i even said um I on twitter during the game you know if if we had last year's power play on that five minute major, we'd probably score twice, once, yeah. twice at least, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I was, I was just sitting there watching the clock wind down on it. And I was like, Oh, can I please be last year? Just for, just for the power play alone. <laughs> yeah. And we've Killer heard a lot wish, about the, thinking. the system of the power play and how, uh, Prashant has talked about it a lot yeah. where they're too static. They play on the half boards too. They play right. on the wrong half board too. Yeah, like they, they always play from the the right wall instead of the left. Yeah, um, I really hate how the points don't collapse often enough. They're just not creating enough shots, and I think that there are a lot of times they are wasting one of their extra players on a net front job that they're just not very good at. And I would just right. that. So uh, I guess it's the same story as as when we recorded last week. Uh, fire first while I'm <laughs> kind of yeah, dumb. yeah. I know somebody had mentioned that in the comments, and I think that. It's not going to happen, but uh, it probably should, or he should be put into a different role and have somebody else run the power play. 
it's just not working out. Jeff, what about you? What about me? Yeah, go I want to talk about the defense. Is what I want to do because right, do the last time we chatted, they were old seven defensemen. Mm-hmm. Since then, Alexi Marchenko has been the odd man out, and he's had some time sitting in the Lano Lounge. Uh, <laughs> I know, obviously, that's not our preference on who plays and who sits, but just your takeaway on how the defense has looked with the six guys they've rolled, with Quincy getting a few more games under his belt, and just other than that obvious change we would love to make, what what do you yeah. what do you, what would you do with the defense? I'll take the lead here. Um, I think. Quincy hasn't made an impact at all, and that's I didn't expect him to really. Um, he he looks very much like what he always has been, just kind of like a one-dimensional, obsolete sort of defenseman. He makes good plays every now and then, but um, n- not a game changer. Uh, I would definitely rather have Marchenko uh, in lineup over Quincy or Erickson, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think we could see Quincy be a healthy scratch at some point. Um, I think that's not too crazy to 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 like to think, um, but yeah, it's just like and and the the rapid like we know it's been coming for a long time, but the rapid and obvious regression of Cronwall has been so detrimental to the team. I mean, I don't even want him on the power play. I don't. I I mean, I don't even want him playing twenty minutes. Like it's just it's bad. Um, so I don't know. Something needs to change there and. Um, they're not going to be able to make a trade to change that because they would have to dump salary. So, um, yeah, I think that Marchenko, you know, before Quincy came back, was one of the best defensemen we had in terms of just, you know, two-way play. And uh, I think they need to remember, oh, hey, he's actually kind of good. Yeah, I'm real confused by the Marchenko situation because Jeff Blashill has talked over and over about how Marchenko didn't play himself out of the lineup. He'll be, he'll be spending a lot of time with us real soon. And he's just, like, real cagey with it. And then the Red Wings, you know, they practice on a game day, and Marchenko isn't there for practice at all. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the the Diggers actually actually dug on that because we, we asked him about it, and Con asked Blash Hill, and he said, well, he's not hurt and he's not sick. It's just a personal day. Yeah. And then <clears throat> Bob Duff writes out that not only was it, you know, a, a personal day, but curiously, like, his equipment wasn't even in his locker, which I – I don't know why that would be, because um, because this was on Sunday, so mm-hmm. their next game is at home too. So there's no reason for Marchenko's equipment to not be in the locker. It's like it feels like there is a trade idea coming. I just don't know if it's if they're seriously considering trading Marchenko, which I'm against on the sole. Like I'm not against trading Marchenko. I'm against trading Marchenko on the concept of I don't think that there's basically much value for him around the league, and no, I think yeah. that Ken Holland is going to get ripped off if he trades him. He's not going to get a guy that I'm going to be happy with uh, that trade three years down the line because yeah. I really think that Marchenko has the capability of breaking out and becoming easily a top-four defenseman, like an unquestionable top-four defenseman for an NHL team in the next couple of years. Um, well, so, what day was this but, that the equipment wasn't there? It was Sunday. Sunday. Could is they've just not unpacked it from the war road trip yet, and he was gone, and he'd been gone since they got back. Maybe someone's yeah. ill in his family or something. Yeah, that would work. Yeah, because I mean, the more favorable concept of like the trade winds are blowing is that yeah, they're they're trying to show Ken Holland has told Blashill, you got to play Quincy and you got to play him in situations he's going to look good because I want to trade him, um, make it happen, 
And it wouldn't be the first time that I'm pretty sure that Ken Holland has been showcasing a guy. He he's never traded a guy after showcasing him if if that's the case. But hey, maybe this year would be different. You know, this is the year of this. If it's all different now, things work differently. So yeah, let's let's do that. Kyle Quincy is getting traded uh, <laughs> for just draft picks. That's one draft pick. It'll be a second rounder, and then people will be furious about that. I wouldn't be. I mean, either. Yeah, I think that would be a, a great deal, and. Everybody wants to speculate trades right now, but I keep on saying it. I keep, I'll keep on saying it. It's not happening unless somebody gets hurt, uh, somebody with a you know a, a bigger cap hit, at, or uh, they dump someone like a Quincy or a Helm. But it would have to be Quincy because it has to be con- you know it has to be considerable amount. Just keep saying it. I like our team. I like our team. I don't know. As as long as Holland kicks some tires, we're all good, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'd like, you know, let's just hope that Blasio is getting cagey because he wants to sit Erickson, but he can't because maybe Ken Holland won't let him or something stupid like that. Well, if that's the case, then Ken Holland is, that's, that, that's bad because he doesn't need to be micromanaging like that. We should. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk in our our comments about, you know, a good coach wouldn't take shit like that from his general manager, um, in regards to, uh, Quincy playing over Marchenko. Which I disagree with because he's a first year coach. Of course, he's going to say okay. But yeah, if it's a case where Blashill doesn't want Erickson in and Ken Holland is forcing that to happen, then I think Blashill could easily go to the po- to the press and say, uh, "I would love to bench Erickson, and I, I'm not allowed to." And the entire city of Detroit would burn down Ken Holland's office. Well, for- on the Quincy theory you have about him playing to showcase, I mean, maybe in Blashill's head too, he agrees to go along with something like that because a it's a short-term thing, so he bites the bullet now, and then eventually he gets his guy in full-time, which is Marchenko. Mm-hmm. So, short-term yeah. loss for long-term game gain. I'm, yeah. I'm wondering, too, um, I know we talked about this uh, not last week, but I think the week before, um, Marchenko's waiver eligibility is coming up. Um, so, this is just kind of another theory that I... I've got yeah, maybe because his equipment wasn't there. It's my. This is kind of my um, my guess on it. Um, they've told him, "Hey, you're going to be swapped out for I don't know Willette or Jensen or someone. Um, you know, yeah. head home to you know head back to Grand Rapids. Now we're not going to announce it until whenever you know we've got a couple days off between games, and then you know they'll maybe they'll, and then they'll make the switch. That's off of absolutely zero. Um, information other than that he took a personal day and his equipment wasn't there but it's just a just a guess that that's something else it could be but i think that's a good observation never know yeah and one thing that would totally make sense to delay the waiver eligibility until after the deadline for um and i don't know what this deadline is so hopefully somebody in the comments can somebody who's listening can go look it up and, and point it out to me uh essentially if you've got a guy that can get onto the the Grand Rapids roster before I think the the NHL trade deadline, then he'll be eligible to play for Grand Rapids in the playoffs, even if he hits his waiver eligibility. So they may be trying to to time that with Marchenko to slow it down, so that they can essentially hedge and say, "Listen, we want Marchenko with the team, but if things go tits up and we end up out, out in the first round again, we'd like to be able to send Marchenko to have him eligible to play for Grand Rapids." How's that work, though? If he'd have to go through waivers, I mean, I. I, I... I should probably know that. I think it, and like I said, I, I don't know. So I, I could be totally out of left field in this, but, um, I think it's a case of basically if the Red Wings are eliminated, <clears throat> um, and he would, 
he's eligible, I think it's possible that you might be able to send him down. I don't know if that's the case, though. Okay. Well, one thing that is a case is that the Red Wings did make a trade, uh, a very minor deal, and correct me if I'm saying his last name wrong, Richard Nadamal? I think it's Needhamlow. Needhamlow? Yeah, I've always said it, Needhamlow. Yeah. Well, I don't know. who the fuck cares because he's not here anymore. Yeah. Traded for future considerations, which basically means, like, peace out. We just don't want you anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's been a confusing thing. Like, people don't aren't sure of what future considerations are. Like, does it actually have to be something? You know, I mean, it's usually, like, oh, if he plays three games with his new team, then you get a seventh-round draft pick or something. Oh, uh, no, that's a contingent trade. It could be something like that. Whatever, fuck off, man. Who gives a shit? We're not getting anything back, and he was never going to be a Red Wing. So Yeah, future considerations are basically, uh, I promise to be nice to you in the lunchroom when all the GMs get together. That's essentially what it is. It's, uh, I scratched your back here, so maybe you owe me a favor, but there's no, like, Ken Holland doesn't hold any cards over St. Louis right now as far as, well, we traded you Needhamwell, so now you've got to do this. No, future considerations is basically nothing. So we can't just get Shattenkirk next week, is what you're saying? Correct. Good. Um, obviously, we're going to get Tarasenko, obviously. Tarasenko for Needhamwell. I'm not going to ask you to break down this guy's game, because who cares? But yeah. is this just a move to clear a contract off off of the 50 limit in case they do make a move before the deadline. Not really. I mean, they had room either way. So they were at 47 when they had him. Now they're at 46. Um, Niedemlo was just a guy. He couldn't even crack the Grand Rapids Griffins uh, uh, roster. So I think it was kind of like, a all right, out of mutual respect, mutual respect um, we'll get you somewhere. We'll get you with a team who could possibly, you know, stick you in the AHL and you can get some better playing time. Um, I think I think that's pretty much what it is. I think they just yeah. were like, all right, dude, do you want to like just I'm I don't know maybe you need him well. I don't know if he has an agent. I'm sure he does. Um, just went went to him and was just like, hey, this kind of sucks. Can I just go somewhere? And, yeah, that's my understanding is that he specifically asked for an opportunity somewhere. Yeah, so. this, yeah things are changing where you know more people are going to be getting um, time in the NHL if they've ever played in the ECHL. But still, for the most part, if a guy gets sent to the ECHL at any point of his career, um, he's not going to amount to much. So could be totally wrong with him, but apparently this was a case where the Chicago Wolves had some injury problems on their blue line. They were looking for a, a guy, and he was a guy who wasn't in Detroit's long-term plans anymore. So it's like, well, okay, you can have him. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I want to switch gears a little more broad around the NHL. I'm going to kind of throw a few things at you guys. You guys can take it and run with it. Or if you got something else you'd like to bring up, that's cool. I mean, we've got Montreal free-falling down the standings. They're now the second wild card, looking at 50 points is the time we're taping. One point from being out of the playoffs. John Scott and the whole all-star game shenanigans. I mean, you still drew in speculation. I, I read that Montreal was actually interested in him the other day. Uh, it's all on the table. The door is open for discussion, whatever around the league you guys want. I'll just uh, touch on the, the Montreal thing real quick, and that's um, the Drouin thing. Uh, it, I don't think that's a good idea for Montreal because I think that they're going to end up giving up because Iserman states that, you know, he's he has, Iserman has the upper hand there, obviously. Um, he's going to get good value out of him, and trading him to a division rival 
is, I mean, Tampa is moving up in the standings. I mean, they're right behind Detroit. I think they're two points back now. Um, yep, same games played. Yep. So uh, they he would essentially be, you know, because if if they, if he trades Druin and you know Montreal gets Price back, then that's a big issue for Iserman because obviously that team is still really good. So um, I think that that's going to have to end up costing them like a a, a good NHL player. Um, and you know a prospect and a pick, and I think that's just that would be an awful look for Bergevin, I think. And then he would be trading to a team that already has a coach who is just awful with younger players and can't. I don't know. He's just bad at that. So I think it's just that that's a mess. But I hope that they do it because then Montreal would kind of lose a good player like Nathan Bulu or whatever. However the hell you say it. Um, yeah. In terms of how they stand, it's Eiserman's got, got all the power. It's like you make a panic trade, or I'm not going to trade Drew into you at all. Yep, exactly. Because it's not JJ. like he has to. He's got Drew in his cost control. What? Uh, JJ, I know you wanted to talk about the John Scott thing. I do want to talk about the John Scott thing because I'm going to come out and say, in all honesty, that I am that NHL fan that does honestly get excited and does like to watch the All Star game. Um, I know. Everybody's like, it's, it's, you're too cool for it. It's boring. It's an exhibition. They're not playing real hockey, blah, 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 blah. Whatever. I don't care. It's always been fun for me. Um, and I thought that the John Scott thing was fun. I thought it was nice and subversive. Like, I know, like, all, you know, we made a joke out of him and, and whatever. But hockey fans aren't dumb. We know that the NHL has been selling us <laughs> selling us a, a product in one hand and, yeah. and telling us about it in the other hand for a long time. And this is our way of, of telling them, like, listen. We know what the hell you're about. We know what the hell you're doing. We're going to send John Scott there. Um, and honestly, I'd, I'd like to see him play in the All-Star game because John Scott is a very good hockey player. He's not a very good NHL hockey player. But if you think you can play drop-in against John Scott and ever touch the puck, you're you're not right. You're not right in the damn head. Watching John Scott get skated around by the absolute best players in the entire league would be fun to watch. And that's what I was, I was all sold on that. He was... You know, originally a, a little bit embarrassed, and then he was like, no, I'm going to do this for the fans. And then they freaking orchestrate a trade to get rid of him so that they can bury him in the AHL, and apparently that disqualifies him from the All-Star game, which I, I think is bullshit anyway. If, if the guy gets voted in to the All-Star game, then he should play regardless of whether or not his NHL team wants him on their roster. Uh, I don't think that necessarily he has to be on the NHL roster to go there because the whole NHL's on a break anyway. But it's it's just the, the dumbest fucking thing that, that could possibly happen is that the NHL is going to say, we're going to abide by our own rules, and then they're just going to say, well, we've got these special rules that we're going to abide by too here, and he's not going to go. Now, they say right now it's all up in the air, but I'll tell you honestly, if John Scott does not go to the All-Star game, I'm not watching it. I was going to watch and have fun and enjoy Dylan Larkin at three-on-three, three, which I was really excited for, but I promise if, if he's not there, I'm not watching it. I think that's a fair take. I, it just seems like a whole bunch of shenanigans, bullshit. Obviously, I, I, I voted for John Scott. I'm sure tons of other, some of you guys may have voted for John Scott. Uh, it was a joke. I wanted to see if he'd actually get in. He won. Cool. And who gives a shit at this point? It's a game that doesn't matter. Like, 
just let the guy go have fun. It would have been like the highlight of his career, probably. The guy's got what nine points in eleven seasons or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah. and it would be memorable. See, right? Then you fix shit next year where you still let the fans vote because you don't take away the fan vote. You just say, here are the ten people you're allowed to vote on. You're not allowed to write in John Scott. And fans would get over. They would get used to that. They would enjoy that. You still have the the kids get to vote stuff, but. The fact that they colluded, here's the thing, is they colluded, if they colluded at all to get him out of there, which Bob McKenzie, essentially the most trusted reporter in all of hockey, says, I think that there was collusion on this, then yeah, there's there was. I mean, yeah. and the winners of the All-Star game, there's a million dollar prize pool for the winning team. They basically colluded to rob John Scott of an opportunity to compete for money. And I would honestly like to see the NHLPA felt like, file a grievance and i think that's why like everything is still up in the air because i honestly think the nhl has been told you are going to face a grievance if this shit doesn't get made right and i think that there's a lot of backroom dealing right now because we've been hearing about that too apparently um both the nhl and the coyotes tried to get john scott to back out of the all-star game and they offered you know we'll send your family to nashville for a vacation anyway as long as you don't go and he said no i the fans voted me and they want me there i'm i'm gonna go so it wouldn't surprise me if there's a bunch of phone calls and emails going out right now saying, how do we make this right where John Scott doesn't show up at the All-Star game, but also we don't end up having to fight a grievance and arbitration over the NHLPA rightfully saying, this guy had a damn right to compete and you stole it from him. Yeah, I, I think it's, a, you know, and you can look at all the other um, things that are going on with John Scott right now. And, you know, it. I got into a little argument with someone, I won't name who, on Twitter about because uh, John Scott has twins on the way um, with his with his wife, obviously, and uh, and then this all happens, and it's just like it's. I feel so bad for the guy, which is funny because you know if you were to tell me at any point prior to this, um, you're gonna feel bad for John Scott at some point. I'd probably go uh, okay, but no, I do. I mean, um, the guy really got boned, and it is a classic. Um, display of the NHL not really caring about what the fans want. I mean, this is this entire event is for the fans. You know, for the for the casual fan, it's for the it's for the diehard fan. Um and it's just been kind of turned into a little bit of a a uh, you know, a farce and uh whatever. I mean, it sucks. I hope I hope I hope like you said JJ, I hope that the NHLPA actually files grievance there and and all of that but yeah i don't know i guess it, it, you just got to wait and see um we and we don't know as of right now and yeah i don't know my guess is that it all gets swept under the rug lauren you got anything on john scott um i mean i don't really disagree with anything you guys have said um i mean there's it just seems like you know uh there's just there's just shady stuff going on um and it's just really shitty too you know because um, like you said, it's it's supposed to be an event for the fans. You know, this is all supposed to be, um, you know, for our entertainment. Um, but I think it just kind of goes back to, you know, not only is it just for, it's like an extra thing for the league to profit on, but it also kind of shows like they really don't care all that much about the players that they employ. You know, you see that with with league safety things and it's just like you know are they really taking best interests at heart here and it's it's, it is this case too and i get it you know trades happen all the time families get uprooted all the time but in a case such as this where you you have um a a player that 
Montreal didn't want. The Coyotes insisted on him going in the trade. And everything that's, you know, the whole situation in under that scope, you know, it's just like, you know, it's just, it's just the whole shitty situation. And it's just no one seems to, no one in the league anyway, fans seem to care um, a big deal about, you know, the, the personal stuff behind it. But it just seems like the league just does not care one bit, you know, that all of this has happened just so that they can keep their all-star game the way that they want it. And, you know, the, they said a while back, even when the voting was still going on, like, oh, we're going to, we're going to honor the votes. We're going to stand by the results and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, they throw a fit and they, they already said that they're changing the voting and they've, you know, already done this whole trade to, you know, get what they want. But I don't know. Just, well, I can definitely it, it confirm that the NHL doesn't care about the players. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's, sure. it's just another, it's another aspect that you see and it's, it's frustrating because it's just like any other workplace where, you know, maybe your, your supervisor or whatever, like, I don't know, I don't want to get into that too much, but it's just, you know, it's just another thing where you just forget, you know, these are people playing, you know, sports that we like to watch, but there are families behind this. There are, um, personal lives affected by this, you know, and it just, the whole thing just makes me mad. And I, there's, but there's nothing that we can do to fix it, you know? And that's, I think that's the most frustrating thing is that there's nothing that we can do as fans and there's nothing that, you know, we'd even be able to do be like, Oh, well, we, you know, we'll change this for the future because, you know, in this case it's already what's done is done and it sucks. Well, I mean, that's what keeps the only to me is that the NHL is basically telling its fans, you are going to like what we tell you to like and how we tell you to like it, or we are essentially going to say, not fans, we're going to ignore you, or we're just going to, we're going to mess with whatever it takes, or do you guys like what we tell you you're going, you have to like, and that's, it's just so shitty to me. Mm-hmm. Well, John Scott's all-star status is up in the air. One person whose all-star status isn't up in the air, Xavier Ouellette, who is going to the AHL All-Star Game, representing the Grand Rapids Griffins, and they have a bunch of prospects on their team, and Michelle's going to talk about them right now. We knew the Griffins couldn't stay red hot forever, and last week they cooled off a little bit, picking up two wins, a loss, and an overtime loss. They beat the Charlotte Checkers 5-3 on Tuesday, then lost to the Checkers 4-3 on Wednesday, had an overtime win against Lake Erie Monsters on Friday, and then lost in overtime 4-3 to the Chicago Wolves on Sunday. There were a few roster moves that also impacted the Griffins this last week. The Red Wings traded defenseman Richard Niedemel to the St. Louis Blues in what equates to a nothing move. They got future considerations, which we don't know what they are, but essentially they got rid of a player they knew wasn't going to make it even full-time in the AHL. Jakob Kindle was of course put on waivers and sent down to Grand Rapids and with his addition Scott Zarnosen was sent back to Toledo. Tom McCollum is still injured but he was sent to Toledo on a conditioning stint and played a game and they want to see how his ankle's going to react and how he's going to feel after playing to see if he's close to returning to the lineup. Dan Cleary, Andreas Athanasiu, Mitch Callahan, Xavier Roulette, Tristan Grant, Tom McCollum, and Alden Hirschfeld all remain out of the lineup with injuries. Andreas 
Anthony Ciu is closest to returning, and the hope is that he may be a possibility on Wednesday night, and hopefully no later than next Friday night. Willette is out with a concussion, and while I haven't been able to get a direct answer as to how serious they think it is, it sounds like he could be out for a while. He's not being even talked about as day-to-day at this point, and it sounds like the team is expecting him to be out for what could be a little while. Alden Hirschfeld is still recovering and resting up from the seizure that he had last week on the bench, and it's going to be up to he and his doctors to decide what that means for his hockey career. He says he feels good and he's recovering well. It's just a matter of precautions and figuring out where to go from here. After starting 15 consecutive games, Jared Coro finally got a night off and Jake Patterson made his AHL debut last Wednesday against the Charlotte Checkers. Unfortunately, it ended in a 4-3 loss, but Patterson made 38 saves on 42 shots and had a fantastic game. In the first six minutes, he had to make six or seven really good stops and he looked just as calm, cool, confident, and quick in the crease as I expected him to. If you like watching the home team score goals, the Griffins' Friday night tilt against the Lake Erie Monsters may have been a little bit boring right up until overtime. There were no goals scored going into OT, and even through the completion of overtime, we thought we were going to a shootout. However, the referees reviewed a shot that Nick Jensen had taken just two minutes and eight seconds into overtime, and after the overtime buzzer went, determined that it was a goal and the Griffins had actually won the game. Initially, it looked like Jensen's shot had hit the crossbar or the post and bounced out to the side of the net. Play continued, there were some people in the stands behind the goal that reacted like it was a goal. Tyler Bertuzzi was right around the net and threw his arms up like it had been a goal, and a couple of the guys on the bench had somewhat of a reaction. Play never stopped, a whistle never went, everything kept on. But what actually happened was Nick Jensen beat Brad Theason in net and shot the puck through the net. It went through at some odd angle, and I can't even explain how it happened. But after completing the rest of overtime, they did determine the Griffins had won several minutes earlier. That shutout gave Jared Coro his third of the season and helped propel him to the third best goals against average in the league at 2.15, the second best save percentage at .931, and the most wins in the league at 19. Unfortunately, the 4-3 loss on Sunday ended the Griffins' 14 game record home win streak, but it was going to have to end eventually. It was still sad to see it happen, though. Most of the Griffins' big scorers have cooled down in the last couple of games, all of them except Marty Furk, who continues to put the puck into the net. In his last 17 games, he's amassed 20 points, and in that span, he's only gone four games without getting a point. Furk continues to improve, put up points, and also get better defensively. I'm seeing him many more times come back, be the first forward back back checking, and be able to help cover for his team. That's a huge difference from when he first came into the AHL and even the way he looked at the beginning of this season. He's making huge strides and it's very exciting to watch. Eric Tangrady has eight points in his last eight games. Andy Mealy has five points in his last five games. And Anthony Mantha, Tomasz Nosek, and Zach Nastasiak have four points in their last five games. And Bertuzzi has three points in his last six. Even AJ Jenks, who was called up from Toledo as reinforcements for the Griffins, has three points in his four games since being called up. Tyler Bertuzzi has three assists in his last six games, but he He's a player that I need to see more production from. We've seen it from him before. I know he has it in him, but he's playing on the top line with Andy Mealy and Marty Furk, and I just am not seeing the production that I'd like to see from him. The last couple of games, he's been playing pretty well, so hopefully the points start coming for him more too. I expected Jakob Kindle to come down from Detroit and be 
a stud AHL defenseman. I mean, even if he wasn't a great NHL defenseman, coming down to the A should be enough of a difference that he should be able to dominate and be really good at this level. He had a decent first game, and I see flashes where I can clearly tell that he has played in the NHL before. But overall, he's kind of been garbage, and I hate watching him, and he's made some really, really costly turnovers that have led to goals against. And even simple things on the power play, like handling a simple pass when there's no pressure on him, or getting to a loose puck, he'll flub it, end up turning it over, and the other team gets possession. Nick Jensen, on the other hand, I continue to be impressed with. Just the way he plays in all three zones, both ends of the ice, 200-foot player, whatever cliche you want to use, Nick Jensen is good. He's the guy that gets put out in three-on-three overtime, on the penalty kill, the top pairing at even strength, and quite frankly, I'd rather have him on the power play than Jakob Kindle. Even though it's obvious there's no room for him on the Red Wings right now, he still continues to make a case by his play that he deserves a chance in the NHL. The Griffins special teams continue to be an issue and their power play is terrible. They gave up two shorthanded goals against last week and continue to be unable to score on the power play. The Griffins were so incredibly red hot for so long that they had to slow down eventually and we're starting to get to that point. They're going through more lulls in games where they seem like they're almost bored and other teams take advantage. They back off their pressure, they get a little bit sloppy, and sometimes it looks like they're not fully engaged. And my guess is that's a combination of winning so many games for so long you can maybe get into some bad habits or be overconfident. And then also all the injuries to the team and they've got call-ups from Toledo and they're still missing some key guys. And I think all of those things put together are contributing to not only more losses recently, but just their overall play. They They've won a couple of games they were probably lucky to win because they played some bad stretches or maybe even a couple of bad periods and they were able to pull off a win yet. But that's not something that you want to see them do long term and it's something that's going to bite them more often than not. That being said, the Griffins still boast a 23-12-1-1 record with 48 points on the season, which puts them at 4th in the Central Division and 5th in the Western Conference. Down in Toledo, the Walleye picked up two wins last week, taking a 5-1 win over Evansville on Friday and a 4-3 win over Wheeling on Saturday. Saturday. Tom McCullum was sent down to the walleye on a conditioning stint and played on Saturday night and got the 4-3 win. He made 25 saves and allowed three goals. Despite being without Merrick Tverden, who was a top scorer on the team, being without Jake Patterson to back up Jeff Lurg, and losing a host of other players to either loans or call-ups, the walleye continue to win and improve their position in the standings. They currently sit first in the North Division and third in the Eastern Conference with a record of 22-10-1-3 and, and 48 points on the season. In other prospects news, Vili Sarajarvi and the Flint Firebirds continue to struggle. In three games last week, Vili had one goal, 11 shots on goal, and picked up an uncharacteristic eight penalty minutes. Flint lost all three of their games, and they haven't won a game since December 18th. The Flint Firebirds currently sent ninth out of 10 teams in the Western Conference and 17th out of 20 teams in the OHL. In more exciting news, Finland decided to celebrate their World Junior Gold Medal by commemorating it on a postage stamp. That postage stamp features none other than Vili Sarajarvi celebrating on the ice with his teammates after they scored the golden goal. So at 18 years old, Vili Sarajarvi already has his face on a postage stamp. In the QMJHL, Evgeny Svechnikov played in his first two games after winning silver at the World Juniors. In those two games for the Screaming Eagles, he scored six points, one goal, and five assists. 
After being a little snake bitten at the World Juniors and not getting a single point, I'm looking forward to Svechnikov coming back and tearing up the queue. Chevy has 45 points in 29 games, and just to show how ridiculously offensive the queue is, those 45 points in 29 games only put him at 34th in league scoring. It's ridiculous when you start looking at points. The current point leader in the queue is Arizona draft pick Connor Garland, and he has 98 points in 41 games. That's just stupid. Over in the Western Hockey League, Dominic Turgeon continues his point-per-game pace. Picking up two more goals last week, he now has 44 points in 44 games. In college hockey news, defenseman James DeHaas had been in a point slump. He only had one point in his last 13 games, but last week in three games, he picked up two, notching a goal and an assist in helping his team pick up two wins in three games. In the KHL, Alexander Kadikin picked up a goal and two more assists in four games last week. He's now up to 10 points in 40 games. Over in Europe, Axel Holmstrom picked up another power play goal in two games last week, and he's still second among junior age players in points in the SHL with 17. Last fall, Montreal Canadiens draft pick Jacob De La Rose did a Swedish interview with Magnus Nystrom, and Patrick Bexell over at Habs Eyes on the Prize was kind enough to translate the interview. It was a very long, in-depth interview, but the part that grabbed my attention from a Red Wings perspective was when Jacob talked about Axel Holmstrom. Nystrom was asking De La Rose about different players that he'd played with in the World Juniors before, and he asked him, if you were to mention one of them as the guy that will make the biggest statement in the NHL, who would it be? And De La Rose said this, we in Sweden know who he is, but I think before he had the playoffs that he had, and that's Axel Holmstrom. De La Rose said, I think he's fantastic, and I would love to have him in, on my own team, because he will always give 100%, and he's amazing on both the defensive side and the offensive side at the puck. He's skilled. He might be a bit smaller than me size-wise, but he's still skillful and can also go out and penalty kill, block shots, and he isn't afraid of anything. I think Detroit drafted well. I think it's interesting to hear that coming from a peer, somebody who's played with Holmstrom, somebody who's been in the trenches with him, you know, playing on the national team together, and who knows him. To hear De La Rose heap that praise on Holmstrom, and also single him out, you know, of all the players that he's played with in Sweden, of any players coming out of Sweden that would make the biggest statement in the NHL, De La Rose picked Axel Holmstrom. And I think that's really cool. We also got word last week that goalie Jorin van Puddelberger has signed a three-year deal with HC Davos in the Swiss League for next year. It's a three-year deal, and he'll then be moving from the Super Elite League in the Swedish ranks over to the Swiss League and playing with uh, the quote-unquote big boys team. I also found out during the World Juniors how to pronounce his name, and I'm trying to do it without butchering it. I sincerely hope that Ray Ferraro hasn't led me wrong with the pronunciation, because that's a mouthful to say. ESPN's Corey Pronman came out with his Top 50 Prospects last week, and the Red Wings have five names on that list, which is more than any other NHL team has. Pronman ranked Evgeny Svechnikov at number 30, Joe Hicketts at number 34, Axel Holmstrom at 35, Billy Sarajarvi at 40, and Anthony Mantha at 48. There's always going to be discussion and disagreement with where the prospects are ranked, and there's a lot that goes into putting these rankings together. The overarching impression that I take away, though, is that the Red Wings do have five prospects on this list. You guys had some great questions for this week on Twitter, so let's get right to those. Brad asked if there were any Griffin's injury updates 
what Hirschfeld's outlook was, and how the Griffins were handling the AHL veteran rule. I pretty much already covered the Griffins' injuries and Hirschfeld. As far as the AHL veteran rule, that hasn't been an issue yet, only because there have been so many injuries. The Griffins were going to face issue with the veteran rule once Tristan Grant came back from his injury, but as soon as he came back, Dan Cleary was injured. Jakob Kindle getting sent down will complicate things a little bit more when and if everyone's healthy, but for the time being, the Griffins aren't having to deal with it. Ryan Rabb asked, do you think that Marty Furk is an NHL player? He's scoring, but I don't know how his game looks other than that. I'm very excited for what Furk's done this season, and he's at the point where I think there's potential for him to become an NHL player, but I'm really not confident in it. In order for him to make it to the NHL, he's going to have to continue improving, and I'm not sure yet where his ceiling is. I think if he does become an NHL player, he's going to be somewhat of a one-dimensional player. He's not going to be somebody that you put on the penalty kill or rely on in defensive situations, but he would be your trigger man, your shooter, somebody that you would set up on a power play and you would look to score goals. There's also a chance that he could end up being just a really good AHL player. He's kind of in that area where I'm not sure yet if he's going to be good enough, but this is definitely the closest I've ever seen him come to looking like he could make it to the NHL. Sean Carter asked, who do you think is our best defensive prospect? Willette, Spruill, Russo, Hicketts? I actually think that if all the defensemen currently in the Red Wings pipeline, Vili Sarajarvi has the highest ceiling. Burr87 asked, where do you see Jensen and Sproul being? Are the impactful NHL defensemen or not? And are the Wings wasting their time or are they wasting these kids' talents? Nick Jensen, I think, will absolutely be an impactful NHL defenseman. Ryan Sproul, I still don't know if he's ever even going to make it to the NHL. He's at the point where he's, I would say, a mediocre to good AHL defenseman, but that's not going to cut it to make it to the NHL. It's a little bit frustrating for me sometimes that Nick Jensen hasn't got a chance to play in the NHL yet or make his case for the Wings. Are the Wings wasting their time or wasting the kids' talents? I don't think so at all. Adam asked, who do you expect to see in the Wings lineup next year from Grand Rapids? I think that Xavier Willett is the easy answer to that because we all know he should have been up. I think there's a possibility that we could see some of Nick Jensen. And depending on what happens with the Wings roster, up front, Athanasiu, Noshek, and Mantha are the top three candidates I think the Wings would try out or put in the lineup regularly. But I think realistically it will be Xavier Willett, maybe somebody else, but probably not a huge influx of guys from Grand Rapids. AK Wings fan asked, who could be a surprise prospect to make the Wings? I'm not expecting any surprise prospects to make the Wings, but then again, if I was expecting it, it wouldn't be a surprise. So I'm just going to pull Mitch Callahan's name out. He's somebody that could probably play in the NHL, but I don't expect it, therefore it would be a surprise. App State Nick had a question about Alexander Kadikin and how his current success could impact his development or chances of coming to North America. And I think that the only impacts his success are going to have are positive. I think that he's going to benefit from it, and I don't think that it would make him not want to come to North America. The NHL is the best league in the world, and I think that his success and growth and development will only give him more confidence and better prepare him to come over to North America. Tyler Davis asked, what prospects in the system have the highest upside? For forwards, I think you're talking about Andreas Athanasiu and Anthony Mantha. Defensively, as I mentioned earlier, it might be Vili Sarajarvi. Tacey asked, how do you predict the next couple of years for Evgeny Svechnikov? We already know that he's coming to Grand Grand Rapids next year, which is going to be really good for him to get out of the queue. I expect him to go through many of the same growing pains that Anthony Mantha went through, that Tomas Yurko went through, and that Marty Furk went through. 
Players coming out of the queue have a lot of things in common. They have to learn a lot of the same things. They have to learn to move their feet, to be engaged, to keep going. It's so easy in the queue to score goals. If you watch any of the QMJHL games, it's almost painful to watch. It's so sloppy and messy and ridiculously offensive. The defense is terrible. And players can basically score at will doing very little. So you can watch Svechnikov have to do next to nothing and score a bunch of goals. And it's the same thing that Mantha did. Svechnikov is going to go through a lot of the same issues. I think that when he comes to Grand Rapids next year, it's going to be a really rough year for him. I think he'll catch on perhaps a little quicker than Mantha did. And especially if he doesn't have injuries to deal with, hopefully that won't set him back. But I think his first year is going to be pretty rough and slow. And after his second year in Grand Rapids, I think we'll start to see some of that real potential that we expect to see. Thanks for all the great questions this week, guys. Remember, you can send them to me at any time on Twitter. Until next time, that's what's going on in the world of Red Wings prospects. All right, thanks, Michelle, for the prospects report. We're going to hand it over to JJ now for our reader questions. All right, excellent. We've got a lot of comments, um, but not so many questions. People just wanted to use our mailbag to chat this time around, so that's helpful. Use uh, Twitter, starting off, Yeah, that's what Twitter's for. Starting off, IndyWing97 wants to know the... The Wings defense looks pretty good against the Flyers last night, but it still seems to be one of the team's weaker points. What can be done to improve the D core? Well, uh, I mean, the obvious uh, um, remedy for that is to look into trade speculation, which, hey, let's go ahead and do it real quick. Um, uh, you could put, There are some names out there that could really uh, bolster the blue line. Uh, you have your Dustin Bufflin. Uh, he would be a rental. Keith Yandel, another rental. Um, Kevin Shattenkirk is a name that has been um, tossed out there a few times. Um, and then, I don't know if it's real, but uh, Sammy Vatanen over in uh, Anaheim, uh, I think that that's another name that could possibly be there. Um, now, I mean, the, here's the big thing is that, like like I had touched on earlier in the, in, in the episode, uh, the Red Wings would need to dump salary cap in order to make this work. Um, so it really makes sense to see a trade with Winnipeg, a team who could potentially take on a salary dump and then uh, trade a player like Dustin Bufflin for, uh, you know, essentially a, you know, like a first round pick and then a prospect or something of that nature um, to kind of round it out. Um, so I don't know. I mean, outside of that, you know, you would need to, there would need to be a lot of tires being kicked. And uh, I don't know if I feel like that's going to be the case this year. Um, I I know that Ken Holland is going to be making calls, but I don't know for sure if it's going to be something that actually ends up happening because, um, you know, I I just don't think Kyle Quincy is going to be a a player that people, a team really wants. or a team, a player, yeah, a player that anybody really wants. I just don't know, but um, who knows? Uh, L.A. took on Shen, so uh, I guess anything is possible. Um, but, yeah, th- there would need to be a significant uh, salary dump, and if that did happen, then I don't want Bufflin. I want a guy like Shattenkirk. I'd rather spend more for a guy who would be here for at least another year. Um, Vatnin would be great because he's a restricted free agent. He's young. He's cheaper. He, I think he gets paid, like, just north of a, a million, a million and a quarter. Um, good offensive defenseman, but it's not like a player like Shattenkirk where they are a two-way 
you know, a, a really good two-way player, which is what Detroit needs. So I don't know. I, I, I could see it happening, but all signs are pointing towards no. You could always go with the hope that either St. Louis or Anaheim would bite on Quincy as, yeah, we know he's a rental, but, you know, he's got that big mean streak that the Western teams tend to like. Um, yeah, no, that's true. I like Shattenkirk. He's already got he's got term and he's got more experience. I would uh, braid my own nutsack to get Vaughn in. I, th- I really like him. <laughs> yeah, he uh, is like uh, he it, as a comparable for people. He's kind of like a Billy uh, Cyrus Jarvi is uh, kind of compared to him, kind of like that offensive de- defenseman. Um, again, would be a guy that would probably have to play in a sheltered role. It wouldn't be a guy that you could stick in the in the top pair and really. Uh, um, you know, expect to flourish. That's why I'm a little bit meh on it. But um, I, I, like I said, Shattenkirk is a guy that, uh, yeah, I would throw up Mantha and a first round pick for him. Like I would do that. That's easy. It's going to the West, a Western team. Uh, yeah, why not? So, and then you have the chance of uh, re-signing him. And you know, he's he's in his 20s. So that's that's good. I think that's a that's a player that if he is on the block, that is uh, numero uno. Well, Shattenkirk's got another year. Does he have another year after this one? Yeah, yeah, he is not a rental. He is a free agent in 2017. Yeah, so that's like not even Manta and a first gets that done. You're probably looking at moving a, a roster player like a Gustav Nyquist. Which I that would be fine, but I wouldn't take. I wouldn't let Manta go then. Yeah, I agree like, there. Like, yeah, I would like, not give Manta, you, Nyquist, and a first for. And then you wouldn't now. have to. Then you wouldn't have to worry about dumping salary. So that's something that you could potentially. I mean, I don't know. Do you gun to head right now? Uh, first round pick Gustav Nyquist for Kevin Shattenkirk. Do you do it? <clears throat> yeah. yeah, yeah. I do it too. I, I do. Um, and I honestly think it. They might be able to catch less. Uh, you know, I mean, you might be able to do a second round pick and do a Nyquist just because he's a he's a goal scorer, um, regardless of what Prashant says because he hates him. I don't know, whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> Prashant doesn't think Nyquist is good because he doesn't score on five versus five uh, on at even strength. But, but uh, going back, the question, if I remember correctly, was fixing defense before we got into the trading of people, right? Well, yeah, but we're getting Shattenkirk. That's that's fixing the defense. Sure, sure. But yeah, if yeah. we want, just in, if I'm going to answer the question from a perspective of not making a trade. Uh, besides the obvious, Sid Erickson and and play Marchenko. Severe, I would severely reduce Cronwall's role in ice time and play Brendan Smith more, especially on the power play. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree with that. I think Brendan Smith is better than Cronwall. So Je- Jeff, real quick, defend Brendan Smith at the end of the Philly game. Uh, I was actually at the bar. Yeah, he was drunk. <laughs> You've seen what happened, though, right? I did. Uh, hey, shit happens, man. <laughs> <laughs> It just always happens to him, though. Well, well, you know, it's just got to happen to somebody. Exactly. Might as well happen to the same guy over and over. There's no such thing as bad publicity. <laughs> yeah, might as well have it over. But yeah, I, I think that uh, definitely, if there's any name that really needs to be um, targeted, it needs to be Shattenkirk. Even though I think that you might see Shattenkirk moved for Druan. Yeah, that, that trade makes a lot of sense to me. And that's the thing is like I. I, there's a lot of talk about Buffalo and Yandel, but like the prices for them. Yandel, uh, no, fuck Yandel. First of all, Yandel is, has never proved he's more than a second pairing defenseman, and uh, it, no, we have enough of those. Um, Yandel is Brendan Smith, a Jace. Buffalo is such a a tough uh, Jace, good word. Such a Buffalo is such a tough call there because I think he's good. I think he improves the defense, but the cost of him is going to make it so that like, he can't be a rental, and I don't know how we guarantee that Buffalo stays. 
And like I keep I don't know if I want Bufflin around. Like the the fact that he's like a grown man who basically drove away a kid because like in such a shitty way too. Like just his attitude, fuck that. I mean Bufflin can grow. Yeah, I mean I don't really know. I, I, I honestly I don't know what he's like outside of the whole Kane situation, so it might be a little uh, you know, there might be a handle on that, so I don't know. But all signs point towards him being kind of a, eh, I don't know, kind of a, a jag off, and I'm not a big fan of that. So yeah. I would not braid my balls for that, <laughs> as right. JJ so elegantly put. Okay, go ahead. All right. Lauren has to be kept out of trade talk, so I'm not going to ask her this. Instead, I'm going to throw the next question first. <laughs> Tromboner Will uh, wants us to give Ken Holland a score out of 10 since the Calder Cup in 2013, so basically the last two and a half seasons. In the following categories, uh, let's just go one by one. Coaching, scouting, and front office hires. Uh, like 10 being the highest here? Yeah, yeah let's go 10 as highest. All right. Um, I'm just like, do we are we doing each one or are we going to do sure. it just under that? I'll, okay. I'll say eight. Just call out numbers, yeah. Lauren? Uh, eight, I guess. I don't know. There hasn't been too much movement in scouting in front office, I don't think. I'm going to go ahead and say scouting. Um, I'm not even going to grade him on that because he doesn't do the scouting. Um, they all work for him. He doesn't do the coaching either. He he made the right call bringing in Jeff Blaschel. I don't think we need. He to did no. That's the, that like, was the right call. So I give him a true. ten in that. I give him a ten in that drafting. I give him a ten. He he's they made the right decisions. I think we're not we're not on drafting yet. Okay, whatever. <laughs> um. Then okay, yeah. uh, this I is all give, one thing. Coaching scouting. Right, right, right. taking right. way too long. Just throw out a number. Shut man. Shut up. Eight. 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 It's also an eight. Uh, Fershweiler drops it down from a nine. Uh, day-to-day roster and salary cap management. Ooh. Two. I don't know if I'd go that low. Okay, four, because he kept lurking. Uh, I say six. And it would be higher if the whole recent thing didn't go down with Drew Miller and all that stuff. Because he's always yeah. been pretty decent with that stuff, for the most part. Yeah, he magicked our way through the 2013-14 season with, like, 17 forwards and... A billion injuries, so we know that he's at least somewhat savvy with the cap. I'm gonna go with five. I think that they tried, like he tried to do the Alfredson old man bonus carryover thing, but it didn't work, and we ended up with like three million dollars in bonus overages that essentially wasted cap space. Uh, trades and waivers, negative four. Yeah, he's awful. One of the worst, I think. Yeah. So I would say I would say a zero for sure. Especially if you throw waivers on there too. That's just the worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, extensions four. Uh, yeah, I would say five or I'd, I'd say five because I think the Nyquist one was good, the Tar one was good, Chain one was good, Polkinen. Um, the Yurko one, I like the Yurko one, even though Yurko, I'm starting to give up on that two year. I think that's a, I think that's good um, because that might be something you can use um, in a trade maybe. But um, so I give him a five. Uh, on extensions, and obviously the applicator one brought it down. <laughs> and yeah, Ooh, excuse me, that was a hiccup. Um, Lauren, what do you think? Um, I'm gonna go with I think a five two because if you are going back that far, you're also including like De Kaiser, Kindle, Erickson. Um, I don't even remember when Erickson uh, was extended, but I think that it was, was between then. So yeah, that's, it, that's yeah, it's call. it was since then because it was since I started really following. Um, okay, yeah then. Oh, there's oh, in the new Datsuk extension. Um, See, I'm sure there's like, a couple more, but it, you go back yeah. far enough, and there's there's definitely more to consider. So there's there's good and bad. 
Datsuk, the RFAs, Mrazek, I'm going to give him a 7. I think that, uh, yeah, Erickson really worked against him. I'm not going to cha- charge Ablocator against him yet because it basically hasn't kicked in yet. Oh, okay. Um, and cool. Ablocator is playing well for right now. So uh, there's a lot of wasted space, but mostly as far as extensions, I think I'm more positive on him. Uh, UFA signings. Seven. Wait, oh, uh, since 13. Uh, yeah, no. I give him a five again because Stephen Weiss, that was a disaster. Yeah. Um, like, I like Green and I like Richards, but Stephen Weiss, no. I like to have Alfredson. Yeah, you can't really go wrong with Alfredson. Give him a six. Give him a six. Yeah. Five or six is pretty good, I think. Wait, does Cleary count as extension or UFA? Yes. Signing? That is a UFA signing. Oh, wait. Oh, uh, oh shit. Zero, zero, zero. <laughs> Eleven. <laughs> no, you, um, should give, you should give him. I, I figured that uh, he uh, extended Brendan Smith, so I figured that uh, he'd be getting like a fifty-two from or fifty-two, but a uh, I don't know. He didn't give up. him a no trade clause. So. A one hundred emoji. <laughs> give him a cool. number two. Drafting. Um, I, I I think I always will give him you know a a, oh. a, a solid nine or something in drafting because he's always he's done a really good job with drafting. I think. Um, Last year, 2015, um, I really like Svechnikov a lot, but I still think that there might have been a player that, like a Konechny, um, I think Konechny's going to be a stud. Um, not saying that, that, that Svechnikov won't be, but I don't know. I, I would have I leaped out of my seat at the draft if he would have taken Konechny. So, um, but yeah, I still give him like a, a nine or, you know, easily, <clears throat> just because he's, he's done a lot of, uh, a lot of good ones. Um, and the reason why I don't say 10 is because I'm kind of altering it with the um, trade for Turgeon. Even though he's, he's doing really well in the WHL this year, uh, I want to see some, I want to see that kid like come into the AHL and just be a badass. So, time's going to tell there. I give him a 71. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey. I'll give him a 7 plus 1, which is an 8. At this stage, would you rather keep Quincy for the playoffs or trade him with the deadline for a third or fourth rounder? Sure. Trade him. Trade him. Now. Uh, let's see. Team kick or death? I'm not going to answer all four of these, but uh, if Pronger could be traded, is there any hope to see Erickson shipped out? I mean, hope is not a strategy, but it's possible. Those aren't comparable contracts, though. Yeah, that's that Because Pronger is never going to play hockey professionally ever again, and his contract doesn't count towards anyone's salary cap anyway. It's not existing money. It's uh, dead space that the Coyotes are using to get to the floor. It's brilliant cap management by a team because they're basically they're paying him like 500,000 but they've got like a five million dollar cap or five and a half million dollar cap hit for him and that's essentially what counts the salary floor so it worked out erickson's not going to do that unless he suffers a career-ending injury uh let's see with the exception of e and possibly abby uh who should be who should we be on the lookout for as a bad contract so you like you can't count the biggest baddest contract we've got like the next person to get a bad contract is that what they're asking yeah. Um, Luke Glenn Denning. Oh, yeah. Brendan Smith. <laughs> um, no, I think this is either. I think it's going to be Brendan Smith uh, put up or shut up. He's either going to turn into a what he's been so far this season, a really good defenseman and, you know, stick out long term, or he's going to fizzle out like we've been waiting for. Oops. You know, I said we, we might have a, a bad contract on our hands, and I don't want to say it just yet. Uh, but if Mike Green doesn't start scoring a little bit more, that's a six million dollar cap hit. That's like just kind of meh right now. True. Yeah. I guess it's because the term's so short, it doesn't really bother me. Yeah, it's still three years, but 
I think my but, but the thing is, is that and my argument there is that in three years, the look of this team is going to be either either that contract will have worked out really well or uh, it doesn't matter because we will be entering rebuild. So I don't really count it. Yeah, and I'm not going to count any of the uh, pre 2012 contracts um, like Zetterberg or Cronwall because those were signed under a different CBA and they basically changed the rules in our faces for that and. There. I mean, there's just nothing you can do about that. Um, how okay are you with Red Wing management unloading any non-key veterans they can in order to give serious playing time to the almost-ready prospects in Grand Rapids, even if they're conceding that they're not winning the Cup this year? Basically, should we go more aggressively to the rebuild on the fly mode and uh, put the uh, the playoff streak in jeopardy? I don't think they're in a, they're in a, a position to do that right now, uh, given where they're at in the standing. I mean, who are we talking about? Helm. Yeah, I mean Helm is Miller. Fine. Helm is fine. I like Miller is going to get a two year contract this summer. I mean, who counts as a non key? Vet? Everybody's a non key veteran right now, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, Dotsuk and Zetterberg are the the standard. So yeah, you don't. I I think we got to keep them out of the conversation, but right. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, by now. Gustav Nyquist is a veteran, right? So it's yeah. Tatar. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I. I'm not giving. Like. Like I said, I would only give up one of those guys, and it would be Nyquist for a defenseman that possibly puts you over the top. So. Yeah. Like right now, I don't think we've got a forward that's as good as that even projects to be as, as other than than Mantha, I guess. But I'm kind of okay with Mantha still being in Grand Rapids. But like, that's pretty much the only one where we're looking as like he could be better than Nyquist. I don't think Bertuzzi's like that. Yeah, no. I yeah. I don't I mean, know. I think too, but that's a center, so I I, I don't want to specifically move him. Well, I mean, technically, uh, Yoki Manderson is a veteran, so yeah, we should get rid of him on principle. Yeah, you could get rid of him and move up at I mean, we with, you could get rid of him, and you don't even have to replace him, and we'd be fine with it. Yeah. Get rid of Shane. All right. Uh, you're fighting the final space battle against the dark or the light side, whichever side you want to be on, doesn't matter. And you can only have five crew members by your side. Um, which five Red Wings prospects or coaches? Which five Red Wings prospects or coaches do you recruit for your crew and why? Uh, Larkin. Yeah, you know Larkin, he's fast. Because, because he's Larkin. Datsuk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Riley Old Vet. Yeah, uh, uh, number two. I don't know if I take any of the defensemen right now. Um, I might take Erickson because he is big. <laughs> See, it's a space battle. Like it's not like, like Chewbacca's big. You're not fucking wrestling. It's a space battle. Chewbacca's big. Yeah, but he so has that crossbow and it's badass. Erickson has the cross check. Okay. <laughs> Fine, take Erickson. That's three. Are you serious, Jeff? Fine, I'm I don't. Gonna, I'm gonna take Brendan. <laughs> I'm going to take Brendan Smith because if you're doing this and it's a final battle, somebody's got to die, and that's going to be Brendan Smith. <laughs> He's the happy-go-lucky, like, yay, I'm having fun, I'm helping, and then he gets blown the hell up. That's Brendan Smith. I hate this question. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> uh, Tamu Pulkinen's got a cannon, so take yeah. him. And uh, let's see, we need one more. Um, well, because he's got, I don't know, he's our head coach. I'm just going to take that flash. I'll shut up. Yeah, he's the old grizzled. Yeah, he's not old Next. and he's grizzled. <laughs> Next question. Operator Z wants us to fire Pat Frischweiler. Yes, we agree. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Seemingly every... Uh, lurking off. I like this this username. Seemingly every year, late January, February, seem to produce the optimal conditions for the injury bug to hit 
Uh, this got me thinking at this point of the season, how would you rank these players in terms of who we can afford to le- lose the least to a one-month injury? Mrazek, Larkin, Datsuk, Zetterberger, DeKaiser. So who is the the most important of those five? Mrazek. Mrazek is numero uno. Yeah, it's got to be. I, it's when, when, when he went down last night, I was like, over, we're done. This season's done with. Because I honestly thought that he was down with like a concussion. I was like, shit. I think you're a sucker, Kyle. He was faking it. <laughs> he was totally oh, no, I know. He was probably was it. definitely faking it. I mean, he took a butt to the head and <laughs> back, and I was like, okay. But he That's went down. Veteran. Mm-hmm. He, is, he is pretty good at that kind of stuff. If you're a goalie, you need to be. So oh, I know, but he's but he has shown already that he's pretty. pretty yeah, just a, just a side note to that. <laughs> Do you guys feel like maybe I know like the the, the looming concern is that Mrazek is putting up some really ridiculous numbers right now, and it's not really sustainable. Maybe he is a guy that could sustain those numbers. Do you, what do you think? I'd, I'd give it just as good a chance as anything. I think so too. Okay, so next up, uh, out of the, the four remaining, Larkin, Datsuk, Zetterberg, or DeKaiser? Larkin. I say Datsuk. I think it's Datsuk, yeah. Yeah, Datsuk. He's, I mean, it's, they, yeah, he pretty much turned the team around when he came back. I put Datsuk third. That's fair. Okay, let's just save to the end and, and admit to ourselves that Zetterberg is the one who is coming he's, up last in that oh, pile. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He's on the yeah. bottom, for sure. <laughs> Doesn't he still lead us in points, or is, is that still Larkin? I think it's Larkin. But uh, it's tied. Yeah, it's, it's tied, tied Larkin okay. and Zetterberg. Yep. Yeah, that's the guy we're like, ah, we're okay with him going out for a month. Which is yeah. crazy, but... He just, like, okay. quietly puts up points. Yeah. Um, Holmstrom96 wants to play the keep, trade, lose for nothing game. Oh, I got this one. <laughs> I'd rather not. <laughs> no, we gotta do this. Yeah, no. That's yeah, right now. The the veteran core. We got Zetterberg, Dostoevsky, and Cronwall. You got to keep one. You got to trade one. Go you got first for nothing. Jeff is going first. Uh, I would keep Zetterberg because you need him in the dressing room moving forward as a leader to set the example for the kids. I would trade Datsuk because he's gonna retire in a year or two anyway, and he's probably got the highest value that you can get anything back from. And I then I would lose retire. Cronwall for nothing. I think he's coming back on a one-year deal. Well, this is my opinion. The I know. Trade lose for nothing, not yours. <laughs> so when it's your turn, you can speak your mind. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Kyle. Fuck you, Jeff. <laughs> and I, like I said, I lose Cronwall for nothing because fuck him. He's falling off a cliff. <laughs> All right, Kyle. Um, lose in a trade or lose like for nothing. Um, I'll go with Cronwall. Um, what were the others? I, I'm sorry. If you weren't interrupting me. You would have. You would know this. You gotta keep and tr- keep and trade one of or Datsuk and Zetterberg. Um. All right, I'm right there with you, uh, Jeff. Okay, so you're keeping Z and you're trading Datsu. Yeah, I just wanted to mess with Jeff, and he just wanted to be Plus, plus if you, you trade Zetterberg, cap recapture, and you're just going to F yourself in the long run. All right, Lauren? Um, I hate this question, first of all. Well, I feel like, let's see. You're already going to, I mean, we're probably going to lose Datsuk, um, you know, in the next couple seasons. Uh I don't know. Let's see. You might have to come back to me on this one. <laughs> What's the right answer, JJ? Uh, Jeff had the right answer. All right, back to I you. am. So did I. Back to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'll just agree with you guys. I, I don't want to think too hard about this one. It makes me sad. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, which Mel Brooks movie is your favorite and why? I'm going to make you start with this, Jeff, because I'm not sure you've ever seen a Mel Brooks movie. 
Hold on, I'm about to Google that. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Kyle. Uh, oh, wait, wait, is this the, uh, the Robin Hood one? Yeah, Robin, Robin Hood. Hood I, I would say it's a that tie. One? Mine's a tie between Spaceballs and Young Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Okay. <laughs> Good answer. Lauren? Those might have been the only couple of movies of his that I've seen, so I'm going to go with Spaceballs. I can't believe any, nobody has said Blazing Saddles yet. It's, it's, well, it's because you that. didn't get to me. I've well, I don't, want, I, don't, so I, wanna, I, don't, I don't want you to talk. Yeah, you don't want anybody to talk ever. Go, go ahead. JJ. No, it, it is Spaceballs, and it's because it's overall the funniest. But Blazing Saddles, I think it's a lot of consideration for how amazing it is and how you could remake Spaceballs nowadays with no problem. You could not make Blazing Saddles nowadays. If you tried to make that movie, yeah. uh, you would get boycotted out the, the ass for it. So, you know, let's put that in, in its own special, amazing, fantastic category. Uh, what about Little Rascals? Just kidding. Next yeah. question. <laughs> uh, let's see. There's uh, Erickson Smith, only two that stand up. No, that's not a question. Shut up. Uh, bring up Ouellette. Why hasn't he been <laughs> called up? Uh, why hasn't Ouellette been called up? Why would we call him up? Not we as can't even as find room here. to play Marchenko, so, yeah. Why, well, I mean, yeah, Marchenko, yeah, nope, I don't know. Quick answer. Um, who is the realistic trade partner for Howard? Uh, now it's not Edmonton, which that was number one for me, um, because they just signed Cam Talbot to a three-year deal, um, which is north of $4 million per, which is uh, okay. Um, yeah, thanks for that, jerk-offs. Yeah, uh, I say it's probably Calgary. They've got two free agent goalies. It's got to be Calgary, I think. Yeah. Cal- awesome. Oh, Howard. They keep screwing up. Howard for Hoodler. Ooh. Yeah, see? What's up? One year deal. He's got one yeah. year left. Now we're talking. Don't forget the stairs, buddy. Buddy. Don't forget the stairs, buddy. Can we get that as like a sound drop, please? Apparently not. <laughs> Don't forget us stairs, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a greens, Calgary. Carolina, maybe? I was thinking Carolina. Carolina, yeah. Yeah. Is yeah, they out of Cam Ward's contract soon? Who's Buffalo's goalie of the future? Leonard. We traded the first to him. Leonard. Yeah, okay, we're not going to trade him with Buffalo then. No. Uh, Toronto. Leonard isn't a number one goalie. <laughs> yeah, because Babcock is going to want Howard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the other teams listed in this question are... Um, they don't need oh, both. Colorado, Columbus, first of all, both have. Yeah, Barlamov and Bavarovsky. Dallas has two goalies. Vancouver's got Miller. Everybody's got two goalies, Jeff. Yeah. Well, I mean, they have like two. You know, you know what, guys? And I think this would be great. What if we traded Howard to Dallas and they won a Stanley Cup with him? Sure. I would love that. I would. Because nobody up. could be mad. Every minute of that. No one would be mad. And I well, would I'm, love too. They're not going to win the Stanley Cup because of Howard. I'd be mad. I'd be mad because he never did it for us, but whatever. Right. That's a whole other can of worms to open up. Uh, Red Wings 26135 says, uh, can't think of a better question. I'm going to steal one from whose line? Things you can say about the Red Wings, but not your girlfriend. What? Things you can say about the Red Wings, but not your girlfriend. And there's a few. Uh, let's see. Jay Stone says the Wings routinely give it up during the third period. You can say that about the Red Wings, but not your girlfriend. Uh, T and Kicker Death says when you choke at the end, it makes me wish I hadn't watched. Uh, the zone entries have been great lately. Their stick handling has been abysmal. They play soft in the O zone. Too many men has been a problem this year. That's a really good answer. <laughs> really wish she. Yeah, that's a dumb one. Oh my God. Um, when will this awful period be over? That's that's one. 
<laughs> Not much on the back end. <laughs> there we go. No more. Showed him the five hole and took it away. The readers kind of kicked their ass on this one. I know. <laughs> they had time to think about it. Yeah. Plus, I don't have a girlfriend, so. Yeah. Like, things I can say about the Red Wings, but not your girlfriend, would be, I love you because I have a wife and I'm not allowed to have a girlfriend. That's kind of in the contract. So, that's cheating, though. Okay. Like, on the question, that's not. Never mind. It's <laughs> a dumb question. Shut up, Frank. I thought it was funny. Ask. We're just horrible at it. <laughs> No, I mean, the reader answers are really good, so let's get them all on. They win this round. Uh, let's see. How realistic is it to think the Wings will close out the season one of the top three divisional spots? It's, it's decently realistic. Um, Top three? Yeah, sure. Florida's going to fall year. off. Tampa will win the division, and the Wings will be there in the 2-3 spot playing Boston. Oh, shit. Great. That's what we need. Because I think Boston... <sighs> That's still a team I don't... Like no, I hate playing them because they're a good team. Like it, they're they are still a very good team, and I'm I know that they don't. We don't have a center like Patrice Bergeron. So, well, I I think it's just it's not even just that they're a good team. It's just their style. I think matches up a way where I mean we saw even just a couple years ago and just in the regular season, um, we don't have counters for what they have. It's just not a good matchup in our favor. Yeah, I don't know. I think Jeff knows uh, all about that one because he's a Bruins fan. So, yes. Twelfth Cup Detroit wants to know in a woefully unwrecked comment. Uh, don't you wonder sometimes about sound and vision, like Which, the vision, like vision from Marvel? Yeah, see, that's why he doesn't have enough Rex because people don't get that. That's a David Bowie reference, by the way. I don't uh, know David Bowie. <laughs> yeah, that one went right over my head. So everyone um, was sad last week, and I was kind of yeah. Like, I didn't catch it first. Um, Bill H wants to know, he's got a pretty good write-up about the Corsi numbers on the, the defense and everything, but he says, would you say our poor D is, ca- is a cause of our inability to generate offense? Absolutely. It could, it, it's definitely a culprit of that, um, because they don't have, I don't know, it's just, they don't have that guy that you can, you know, they don't have, like, and you know, this is a poor comparison, because a lot of teams don't have that, but like an Eric Carlson, <laughs> obviously, who just drives all offense um, eternally for the Senators. Um, but, yeah, I think that they, if they were to have a player like, uh, you know, like Cronwall, uh, you know, a while ago, or, you know, a Shattenkirk or a Bufflin or, you know, any of those kinds of players um, that could play top pair minutes, play in all situations, um, yeah, that makes, a, that makes a huge difference. Um, you know, we wanted Green to be that, but I don't know if he's going to be the kind of guy that changes it all. Um, and I don't know if he ever was going to be that kind of a guy. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think definitely uh, the best offense is good defense, right, guys? Yeah. Or is, it, or is it the – yeah, whatever. Yeah, same shit. The best offense is a good offense. Yeah. Just look at look at the stars, even though they're kind of uh, bottoming out right now. App State wants to know, what the fuck, man? Uh, yeah, you know. Fucking A, right? Just going for a rip, bud. Yeah. My answer is, if I wanted to lift from you, I'd scrape it off my zipper. <laughs> Immortal Lidstrom says, assuming the wings stay healthy, will Athanasiu play again on the Red Wings this year? No. 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 Lauren, you want to say no, too? No. All right, thank you. Wait, you want to <laughs> say no, or you you're, you don't want to say no? Yes. 
Correct. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Good answer. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, Nizoro33 says, judging from the comments, you would mistake that the Red Wings are in the midst of a 10-game losing streak. Uh, I'll kick in on that real quick. Uh, no, it would be so much worse if the Red Wings were on a 10-game oh, yeah. losing streak. Can Good you thing. imagine the shit show our comments would be if the Red Wings had lost 10 in a row? We lose, like, three in a row, and I, I want to just burn down the entire internet because of the awful shit that gets said. If they lose 10 in a row, um, man, you, you guys won't survive that. At any rate, uh, judging from the past dozen games, do you think the Red Wings are trending upward or down? Uh, they're just trending, like, a straight line. Holding steady. That wouldn't be trending. Standing pat was an option, but I just didn't want to give that to you guys because I knew you would use it. It's a cop-out. Oh, Fine. They're trending upward, but it's, like, very slightly. Uh, they're, I think they're trending downward. Well, I mean, you have to have them trend downwards. The expectations aren't too high. <laughs> <laughs> so they are. Uh, when they eventually do trend upward. I think they are trending upward. I, I agree with Jeff, trending upward slightly, but I think they're on um, a danger. They're in a dangerous area where... You know, one thing could kind of just derail it like that. Yeah, I think they've been on. A I don't know if you could hear my finger snap there, but I did hear it. It was that was, it was good. very good. <laughs> I think they've been trending downward lately. Um, yeah. They've been winning games, but they've been doing it uh, the kind of the wrong way. But also, it's a factor of like if we're just looking at the last dozen games. They were playing really well right before that, so trending downward from that is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but it's something that I th- I'm I'm glad they've been able to win games while they well it looks like they've been working through that. Uh, hopefully they can start going back up real soon. And then the very last uh, Jonah Steffies who constantly comes in with uh, these interesting trade proposals, and I'm just gonna read it. Um, Shahan Helm Quincy pick and another Nestriasel type prospect for Shaden Kirk. Yes. I mean, would I do nothing. that? Yeah. Would the Blues? No. Do we even have another Nestriasel type prospect? Um, Louis Mark Aubrey. I don't know. No sick. No, because he won't be in the NHL at any point. Um, well, it didn't look like Nestriasel was going to be in the a- NHL either. But that's a good point. That's a good point. Yep, you're, that's you're fucking that's... goofy looking. Nestriasel? Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like Dewey from Knock in the Middle grew up. I would. Yes, I do that. <laughs> if if that if St. Louis said, "Hey, we want this and this and this, and you can have this," and that was. It matched up with that. Yeah, you do that like a hundred times yeah. out of a hundred, easy. It's like yeah, RFA, UFA, UFA, draft pick, and rando nobody for a top four defenseman. Yes, everybody would take a good player for spare parts. It'll never. And I know happen. it hurts calling Shane and Helm spare parts, but that's basically what they are at this point. It doesn't. It, it doesn't hurt me to say that. So from a, a standpoint, yes, we should trade. All of our decent to bad players for good players. <laughs> because that's how it works. Yes. Yeah. For and I'm sorry. Team. I know that's that's super, super dickish, but that's basically like 75% of trade proposals that I see are here's this random collection of quantity that's got to even up to quality over the time. And it's just not how NHL trades work. Yeah. So yeah. that that does it for, for questions. So I'm going to kick this right back to Jeff to uh, segue us the hell out of here. Great, we're going to put a bow on this podcast. We're going to look at the week ahead really quick. I'm going to give you the schedule. You're going to tell me how they're going to do, and then we're going to get out of here. Home against the Blues at Buffalo. Home against the Ducks at New York. Four games before we record again in the next week. JJ, what's a record? Oh, shit, which New York team is that? 
the Islanders. Sorry. Brooklyn. Oh, fuck. Yeah, we're going to lose that game. Um, I'm going to say that we beat the Blues uh, in a one-goal game, surprisingly enough. I'm going to say we lose to Buffalo, and then we come back and we at least get to overtime on Saturday. Um, and then I'm going to change my mind. We're going to beat New York. So what is that, five points at eight? It's optimistic. I say uh, we go 500 in terms of points. We get four. Lauren? Hmm. Let's see. St. Louis, Buffalo, Anaheim, Islanders, you said, right? Yep. Okay. Um, hmm. You know, I just said we'd, we're turning up. I think we're turning upward, but I'm actually not too optimistic about this stretch. Uh, <laughs> womp womp. Um, I'll go 2-1-1 one, and one again. I made that prediction last time, I think. So I'm going to go with 2-1-1. One, and one. Um, I think we beat St. Louis and... The Islanders. I think we lose to Anaheim and uh, shootout. Why not for Buffalo? All right, just well, because. The, just the cr- because it's a division rival and, you know, three-point games and all that. The correct answer is one in three. You lose to St. Louis. You lose to Buffalo. You beat Anaheim because fuck them. And you lose to the <laughs> Islanders. Uh, do you guys have any final hockey-related thoughts? Uh, Dylan Larkin should win the Calder Trophy. Yeah, it's not even close. Yep. Yes, Panarin I don't want a joke. He's too old. <laughs> Who, Larkin? Yeah. No. No, Panarin. <laughs> I know. <That's, laughs> so wait a second. I like Second City Hockey's argument that, like, oh, Panarin is a, a, a much more well-rounded player than, than Dylan Larkin is, and Dylan Larkin isn't, like, the, the two-way player that Panarin is. Like, well, no shit, Sherlock. When Dylan Larkin was born, Panarin was in kindergarten. He's supposed to be a better player. He's got five fucking years on the field. He's an old man. He shouldn't win it. And if you got a problem with that, take it up with Jimmy Howard and the Calder he should have won, except for he was too old. So kiss my ass. Amen. All you Chicago fans that are listening. For Lauren and Kyle and JJ, I'm Jeff. Wayne and Motown Radio. See you next week, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.